Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank all of my listeners who joined me from around the world. There would be no Inside Personal Growth. We're going on nine years on the web and over 565 author interviews in the era of business, personal growth, mastery, wellness, and spirituality. Again, thank you all for listening in. And today, joining me from the Great Lakes area is Mindy McKenzie. And Mindy McKenzie is the author of a brand new Greenleaf published book called The Courage Solution, uh, The Power of Truth-Telling with Your Boss, Peers, and Team. Good day to you, Mindy. How are you? I'm doing great, Greg. How are you? Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, Really appreciate you taking the time to talk about your new book. And as you'd said before, you co-authored another book with a bunch of other authors, but this is your first book. And believe me, it's a great book for anybody that's working in the business world today, whether they're a solopreneur or working in big teams or corporations. It's a good book. I'm going to let my listeners know a tad bit about you. Mindy is a sought-after speaker among uh, major corporations, an expert on truth-telling in the workplace. Um, As we said, her new book here, The Courage Solution, The Power to Tell the Truth with Your Boss, Peers, and Teams is a Greenleaf book. You can get that on Amazon. Um, In addition to speaking and the founder of MM Enterprise, Mindy advises CEOs and C-suite executives to help them increase both their personal fulfillment and professional impact. Uh, before founding m M&M Enterprises, Mindy served as the Chief Performance Officer at Beam Inc., where she was responsible for a team of 150 and led consistently outperforming the market share gains and double-digit earning growth. Um, Mindy, Mindy currently serves as a Senior Advisor for McKinsey & Company, one of the most prestigious management and consulting firms in the world, and is a frequent lecturer for the MBA and executive education programs at Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. Uh, She has her bachelor's degree from Ambassador University and a master's degree from the University of Louisiana. And it looks like you sing, you play the piano, you're learning guitar, and you like biking along the lake in Michigan. Awesome, because I'm an avid cyclist. So (laughs) I would be, Greg, though, very relaxed. Uh, by a uh, cyclist, and I don't even ter- use the term cyclist, so I'm sure you're far more <laughs> professional <laughs> than I am. Well, but you're out there doing it. That's what's important, is that you're having fun doing it, right? So, Absolutely. you know, you start out the preface of your book, you write in the preface of your book that it ultimately doesn't matter where you went to school or what your degree or where you come from, or what your story is, or what what matters most is that you accomplish on the job what you accomplish on the job and how you contribute is what you say is important. What general advice would you give the listeners today who are either new employees in an organization or been there for a while about making a difference and what they contribute? Well, Greg, my my best advice, I think, is quite simple, actually, and it's around the principle that the only thing you can reliably change or control at any company at any time is yourself. And I think we get hung up whether when we're first beginning our careers and engaging with bosses and folks more senior than us and colleagues, and even as we advance throughout our careers, we forget that, and we fundamentally say things like, oh, I'd be happier if 
only my boss was better, or if my colleagues were less competitive, or my direct reports were more effective. And in fact, while those uh, statements might be true, it doesn't mean that um, that's useful for you to focus on that because fundamentally, um, you can only control you. Right, right. And you actually say in part one of the book, the principle is that you are creating your reality. Great statement. Um, with all the personal growth books that I've read and, and interviewed people on, that is the big one. You know, they want to blame something outside themselves, which is what you were just talking about. And I totally concur. You state that the outcome is something you call the, a personal declaration statement. And you center a lot of this book, um, especially when you talk to your bosses about your personal declaration statement. What is it and how will it help my listeners take more control of their lives personally and professionally? Well, a personal declaration statement is very, very simple. It's basically a one-pager where you capture, Greg, what you value, who you are, kind of where you come from. So even um, the basic stuff as the family, your family of origin and the family you're part of now, why you come to work every day, what your uh, pet peeves are and what your leadership philosophy is. And distilling these down concretely and actually doing the self-reflection to know the answer to these questions is really important. Number one, so that you yourself are clear, but number two, so that you can accelerate trust with the people that you work with, whether that's sitting down with a new boss and sharing this information or with peers or people that work for you. And I think it's essential. Uh, it's, it, it's actually can be a little bit more time consuming than you would at first think because you do have to take the time to get clear with yourself about all of these areas. Oh, I know. And I saw the graph in the book and obviously it takes some introspection. Um, now, was that something that you picked up um, while you were at Walmart? Because I know you worked there. Or was it something you picked up through the Greenleaf uh, Servant Leadership or was it something that came from Franklin Covey? Actually, the personal declaration was inspired by Doug Conan, who was the CEO at Campbell Soup Company. And I had the great privilege of working with him and creating several leadership uh, development programs there. And one of the things that he taught was this idea of declaring yourself to accelerate trust. And when we learned that there is leaders, I spent a ton of time thinking about it. And over time, kind of modified and adapted the concept to the point where I have the practice where any new person that I'm going to have a significant collegial relationship with, I actually uh-huh. sit down and go through my personal declaration with that, with that individual. And here's the catch, Greg. The only way this doesn't work is if your actions don't match what you say. Uh-huh. Yep. Your actions and your intentions and your attention is so important. And I really get that. Um, if your actions and your words don't match, um, people, uh, you lose trust with you right away. Um, and there is only one thing you can do in that, you know, there is the power of trust. Um, it's a Stephen Covey book. Everybody's out there. They know about it, but trust is the biggest thing you have in the work environment. Now you talk about having a personal pit crew. 
Um, I like the term pit crew, but in essence, it's your personal advisors, having people around you that you trust, who you can actually sit with, you know, maybe even a little mini mastermind group. Why do you believe having a pit crew is so important to one's success? And what have you personally gotten out of having your own pit crew? Well, I love having a pit crew because fundamentally, I know from personal experience that it is impossible to build a successful career, but even more importantly, a fulfilling, successful life without having people that you trust that you can rely on for counsel and advice at really critical moments. A few minutes before you called me, Greg, for this interview, my a member of my personal pit crew that I reference in the book texted me to check in. And it was it's really um, such a fantastic way to stay energized and on track. I think the most important thing for your listeners to know about having a pit crew is that I think there's this myth out there that the more senior you get or more successful you get in your professional life, that somehow you're this Yoda-like successful being and it's an independent journey. And in fact, all the successful executives I know and entrepreneurs that I know um, do have a group of advisors. And those that group of people tend to be long-term relationships. They tend to be people who have known them when they probably weren't um, so successful. And they tend to be people with a lot of wisdom, experience, and truth tellers, right? That they will actually um, speak the unspeakable to you when maybe you don't want to hear it, but you need to hear it. They'll call you on your SH. We won't say that word, but yes, I have many of those people and sometimes it hurts. But the reality is, is that no matter how far you climb up, the corporate ladder, your own individual ladder of success, uh, solopreneurs, people out there, um, it can start to get lonelier and lonelier at the top. Um, and the reality is uh, Mindy is right on. To have an advisory group or mastermind or a pit crew is so important to having sounding boards uh, because you get a bit insulated. Um, I know even in the position that I have doing what I do, you get insulated. Um, so you've developed a life scale. It's a tool to measure your levels of happiness, your joy, fulfillment, and areas all of your life. Um, how often should people weigh in on the scale? And if so, why? So the life scale is something that I recommend that everyone does once a month because it's a great way to get in tune with what's working and what's not working in four very specific quadrants heart, mind, body, and spirit. And this practice really helps you take accountability. It goes back to that principle that the only thing you can reliably change or control is yourself, right? And the idea that we're creating our own reality. And I I share with groups that I speak to this, the life scale, because when you actually consistently take the three to five minutes a month to reflect on each of these four areas, and then decide what one thing you're going to do differently for the coming 30 days. You're uh-huh. taking ownership for your own fulfillment, Greg, versus waiting for outside forces to kind of meet your needs. Uh-huh. Really empowering. Yeah, it, it. I think what's important about the life scale is what you said: body, mind, soul, spirit checking in. Um, I think we start to take a lot for granted. And the world gets very noisy. 
And sometimes we get swept up into it and start to believe it. I think your life scale is a great opportunity for people to check in. And ultimately, it's that noise that we get sucked into um, that draws us down a path of of self-indulgence. So totally concur with you. Now, talking about that, you you have a chapter on managing the madness, and you reference something called the Pomodoro technique. I had never heard of it. What is it? How does does it work? Uh, Obviously, I was at a disadvantage because I think that was one you were going to put a chart or something in on, but go ahead. So the Pomodoro technique, I think it's awesome for people who are solopreneurs or in big companies as well, although you can get um, totally overrun and with other people controlling your calendars when you're at big corporations. But the principle of the Pomodoro technique is that the brain can only focus and be productive based on the research that these really smart people have done for about 25 minutes at a stretch. And at every 25 minutes, you need to stop and pause and take a predetermined refresher break. So the principle here is that you'd have 25 minutes of focused activity on one thing that you're trying to get done, take a five minute break, you do another 25 minutes, take a five minute break, your third 25 minutes wraps up and then you take a 15 minute break. And the idea here is that you can sustain a tremendous amount of energy and productivity for a long stretches of time. Think, you know, if you have to eight, 10, 12 hours a day by staying within this rhythm because it gives you the mental and physical breaks that you need. What if their bosses say, uh-uh, can't do it, uh, can't, can't leave the desk that long? What, how would you negotiate that one, Mindy? You're the expert. <laughs> I'm not the expert on everything, Greg. <laughs> but you're the expert on that. You're trying to get good <laughs> relationships with your bosses. And, and obviously, some of these bosses are really blinded by this. I mean, they're being pressurized by their bosses and their bosses, right? And people that are in middle management frequently get squeezed in between. And that's how they become unhappier. And the unhappiness grows daily. It's like, oh, God, one more thing, one more thing. And ultimately, you know, they just explode and they go, screw it. I don't want this job anymore. Absolutely. And so this is why even when you're in an environment where you have very little control over your scheduling or your time, you can still set a timer on your phone and every 25 minutes, make sure you stand up or move around or take, you know, get a cup of coffee or do something that shifts your attention and energy to give yourself a break. So if you really, really aren't allowed to leave your desk, um, and frankly, if you have a boss like that, my advice to your listeners would be consider going somewhere else. <laughs> you could. <laughs> You're working in an environment that that's that restrictive. But you well, you know have- where that would be that restrictive would be like a telemarketing office or a customer service office. I've seen them. You know, they've got hundreds of people sitting in these rooms on phones with headsets on, answering your customer service calls about your software or whatever it is. You know. Uh, AT&T. So kind of a tough environment, right? Absolutely. So I say stand up at the very least, stand up and stretch. Even if you've got your headset on and you're having to answer calls, do something to be mindful and help yourself out. 
For those, though, that aren't in those type of circumstances, uh, doing something like this can be incredibly useful, but it takes a lot of discipline because what happens is, is we make all sorts of excuses um, <laughs> for why we have to keep going and then wonder why our energy flags a couple hours down the road. And I use the Pomodoro technique almost daily in my work. Well, I actually have a desk that cranks up and down so I can stand or sit or whatever. And the reality is it is so important because actually, you know, when you stand and I get lazy, sometimes I sit too long. um, It does improve your energy so much more. Now, you mentioned that we live in a society that's very impatient when it comes to first impressions, that we need a shtick. You call it your stick. What advice do you have for developing our shtick? (laughs) So, yes, I think, unfortunately, we do live in a society that is very superficial and that image matters and perception becomes reality quite quickly. And in fact, just as a side note, some research would say that impressions are formed in the first seven seconds and no matter the data that and the further information that a person would gather, those original impressions stick. So my advice is to, if you want to have greater credibility, if you want to advance, if you want to have your ideas listened to in the professional endeavors that you um, select, then you need to be mindful and intentioned about how you present yourself. And that means how you dress. That means how you talk. But I fundamentally believe that packaging matters. And I say that with all due humility because I'm a short, round little woman. And um, I have had to uh, work on my own shtick because I've been in male-dominated industries, the only female in the room. And I'm by no means a model. So you know, you have to work with what you've got. But I do think that you do need to be intentioned about it. Too many people just say, well, people just need to accept me for me and that's their problem. If they don't, But those same people are the ones that are complaining that they don't get promoted. Well, Mindy, you clean up pretty good on the web because you certainly don't look like a short, round little woman on the web. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that, Uh, you know, looking at the picture and I'm going, this woman's not short and round by any means, but uh, probably tall and slender. So let's get to part two of your book. You recommend that you share your personal declaration with your boss and if possible, get them to reciprocate. Um, In sharing this declaration with your boss early in the stages of your career, um, what what do you think actually happens in the dynamics of the relationship? And how often have you seen that the bosses are willing, actually willing to share their personal declarations? So I think it really depends on how a person couches the declaration um, and how they invite their boss. A lot of times, um, When you are early in your career and you have maybe a boss that's a supervisor or low-level manager, many times these people are not going to be the most sophisticated people leaders in the world. So they may have a tendency to get more easily threatened by someone being really proactive and bright and bold and courageous and doing something like sitting down with your, you know, and discussing your personal declaration. That's not a reason not to do it, but it is something to be conscious of. And so 
saying to your boss, for instance, hey, listen, I just read this book by this author, or I just listened to Greg's podcast, and they had this great idea about a personal declaration, and I really want to have the best, healthiest relationship I can with you, Mr. and Mrs. Boss. So would you give me 15 minutes to share with you some things that are really important that I think will help me be a better direct report to you? And then if you do that, you share your information and afterwards and say, I would love it if you would reciprocate with me so that I can learn how to be the best employee possible. So take a very humble approach and always take a very humble approach, especially when you have a boss, no matter your level with that has a huge ego. Um, But I think it's really important when you're starting out your career to do that. Sounds like great advice for somebody to, you know, especially when they're starting out, most people would be intimidated um, by taking that personal declaration and approaching their boss. But I think, as you said, once people get your book, they fill that in and they're willing to share that. It just shows the truth telling side of things. I want to tell you the truth. This is about me. I mean, even you write in the first part of your book about the physical and emotional um, abuse you went through in your family. I mean, that's like telling the truth right off the bat. So, you know, for those of you who are afraid, sometimes pushing through that fear is the best thing you can do. And I think uh, Mindy is right. Her advice to share that because you build a very deep, strong relationship right off the bat. Now, one of the things you talk about is mapping the territory of the company that you work for, Um, knowing their mission, knowing their purpose, knowing what they stand for. Um, How does somebody go about that? And what do they need to know about the organization? And why in the world do you believe it's better for them to know all of these things? Like you were this officer at Bean, right? So um, what would you have told the rank and file at Beam about knowing about the territory? Oh, I'm such a passionate believer on this topic because you will be able to make better suggestions and have smarter insights on the business and see how your work each and every day in your department contributes and connects into the whole. And when you know that, you feel a ton more emotionally connected to the company that you work for. Um, What I have observed is that most people are hardworking and they'll know their department's area. They'll be a subject matter expert in their particular technical area, but they won't really understand how the company makes money, how to see the story of the company through the profit and loss statement, how to Um, understand how the enterprise fits together and the various functions and geographies and business units fit together. And it's the absence of that knowledge that means that a lot of times their suggestions, their solutions to business issues are incomplete or can't be implemented because they simply don't understand the context of the business. And I think it's so important what you say is to know as much as you can about your company. But there are a lot of people that just come to work And uh, they do their job and they don't want to know anymore. And like you said, if you're really going to make a contribution and be of value, that's the key, be of value to the company. You need to know these things. You need to get engaged. You need to have a voice. You need to be heard. You need to be transparent. You need to tell the truth. Um, And they need to hear you. Now, this came from, I'm assuming you were 
indelibly imprinted by this uh, part of this through Sam Walton. You called it the new era of management philosophy of servant leadership. This is a Greenleaf book. Greenleaf was all about servant leadership. And I've interviewed other Greenleaf authors um, like yourself who uh, come from this position. It's kind of the upside down model. It isn't from the top up. It's like from the bottom up. The CEO is there to serve the employees of the company. Talk with my listeners about the servant leadership model and how they would exemplify this form of leadership, no matter where they are in the corporate structure. So the best way to demonstrate servant leadership, Greg, is to constantly be looking for ways to remove obstacles for your colleagues, for the people that work for you, and to really serve and support others so that everybody can get their job done together versus what you just described a couple minutes ago. Some people just like to go in and, you know, clock in and leave eight hours later and all of that. And I would say that their own personal fulfillment, sense of joy, sense of happy anticipation to go to work, which I know sounds like a crazy concept, but I believe it's possible, would increase and be there if they were actually engaged in helping their colleagues be successful in addition to helping their own selves get the job done. Most importantly, that they know to serve others. And I think that people can be a little self-indulgent. Um, it's it's all about me. And, um, you know, they didn't nickname you the Velvet Hammer for no reason, because you're a great leader with uh, honesty and empathy and truth-telling. Um, and for my listeners... Mindy and I have been speaking today about her book called The Courage Solution. It's the power of truth-telling with your bosses, your peers, and your teams. Mindy, I'd love to invite you back because there's a lot more I could ask you, not only about your book, but your experiences along the way. It's been a pleasure having you on Insight Personal Growth. Where do you want to send our listeners? I have two websites, thecouragesolutionbook.com and www.mindymckenzie.com. Um, are those the two places that they can best uh, kind of reach you, learn more about the book, um, get any downloads, and so on? Absolutely. And as of today, my book officially published today, so they can go out to Amazon and um, get my book out there as well. Beautiful. And uh, are you out on YouTube? You have a YouTube channel as well where they can check you out You're speaking? I do, and I have everything that's on YouTube actually on my website at www.mindymckenzie.com. Okay, and for my listeners, again, that's Mindy, M-I-N-D-Y, McKenzie, M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E.com. I will put a link in the blog to both of those uh, for my listeners. Mindy, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thanks for taking the time to speak with me and speak with our listeners and let them know just a little bit more about you, your journey, and your new book here, The Courage Solution. Thank you, Greg. It's been a real pleasure.